Hey everybody, and this is... Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was fine. just checking because I'm so used to recording and I was checking the button, it's not on, but I can see you are recording. All good, sorry. <laughs> All right, okay. Hey, I'm Andrew from Churn FM and you're listening to the Remote Marketing Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Madhav here from the Remote Marketing Podcast. I've got Andrew Michael with me today. He's actually the, you know, the business intelligence manager at Hardjob, but on the side, you know, he started a podcast roughly 18 months ago called Churn FM, um, you know, which I've been following for, for quite a while. And, you know, it's it's grown in, in a really short period of time to become a popular growth podcast today. Um, and so, you know, we, we'll just chat a little bit about Churn FM's growth and operations in this episode. Um, Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks very much, Madhav. It's great to be here. All right. Okay. So, I mean, Andrew, let's kind of, you know, start with Churn FM, right? Um, describe your journey, you know, in like the first six months of Churn FM. I think you started it somewhere around the beginning of last year, right? Um, so what wh- was it like? What was the reception initially? And like, how do you kind of build your audience in the initial days? Yeah. Um, so like, it's also probably good to give context of why I started it as well, but the, the initial days I think, uh, were not as I expected them to be very honest as well. I expected things to be a lot easier to begin with. And I think that's probably something like a lot of new people to anything new, uh, think things are going to be a lot easier than they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so early days, I think like, I think even up to the first six months, uh, it just felt like I was doing a lot of work and maybe even more than six months. It felt like I was doing a lot of work for little return. Um, and even though I was able to get some good guests on board and uh, get things going, I just wasn't seeing the results that I was hoping for uh, to begin with. But I was lucky in a couple of aspects in that I did have a good network uh, previously. So I was able to secure some good people. And the beginning actually, because like one of my motivations really was learning. So uh, even though I wasn't seeing the numbers, like for me and myself personally, like I was learning a ton and just being able to speak to really cool people on a regular basis, um, I found was like just one of a big win for me anyway. So I saw that as just like a learning opportunity to begin with. And I think just continuing week in and week out, just making sure to be delivering, being consistent, like uh, slowly, slowly things got better. Got it, got it. Even like for the, like, Let's also kind of talk about the podcast. I forgot to mention earlier, but Churn FM is um, is focused, you know, everything around churn and retention. Just talking about that, right? So, was this kind of like, you know, a major part of your work, um, you know, at at Hardjar, um, and you just wanted to kind of improve on that, and that was one of the reasons why um, with Churn FM you got to have these conversations with these wonderful people. Yeah. So actually, I mean, the reason, the main reason I started for the podcast and I haven't talked about this really much on the show yet, but I'm going to go start doing it more now is that I previous founder, so I've built four different companies, uh, sold three of them, but sold them for peanuts, like next to nothing. And the reason was like churn and retention was a killer. And joining Hotjar as well, at some point, I was also asked uh, to head up a team around churn and retention and get the team up to speed as well around trying to improve the metrics and the numbers for the company. And 
I actually got really, really frustrated with just reading blog posts of uh, how you can see, like we discovered this magical number and we solved for churn and um, which is absolute bullshit because it's such a nuanced problem that's solved in so many different ways, so many different stages of growth by different companies and uh, depending on your audience, your customer is like, there's just so many different ways that, uh, and things that can influence it. So part of it was really just learning, like you said, like I really wanted to learn the problem inside out. I wanted to sort of, uh, figure out where I went wrong in the past. And, uh, and then the second thing is like, I knew I was going to start another company. Um, I knew I wanted it to be a, a SaaS business. I knew I wanted it to be somewhere in this space, uh, itself. And I figured why not? Like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do yet. I wasn't ready to do something yet either. So I started the podcast as like a learning experience. Number one, number two was just really start building an audience, uh, trying to, uh, get some listeners so that when I was ready with something, I'd have a product and people to sell to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and third as well, like the, the people I was speaking to week in and week out were serving two purposes. One was product development. So I was gathering new ideas every week, uh, speaking to new people, gaining insights into the different challenges companies were facing. And then the last thing is everybody I speak to is also a potential customer. Mm-hmm. So I've already built really good relationships with these people so that by the time I have the product, uh, I go back to them and uh, let them know uh, this is what I'm doing. It, it becomes a lot easier conversation once they already can put a face to the name and it's not just an email that's coming off the back or an intro uh, mm-hmm. from somebody. And now that I'm actually about to launch a new product, uh, so if, uh, if now 85 episodes into the show, figured out what I want to do. We've started, we'll have a beta ready in the next couple of weeks. Uh, That network uh, has been really, really powerful in a couple of areas, like uh, obviously being a huge influence in in what the product is and where it is today, but also uh, in terms of like early beta users. So we have some really Mm -hmm. good companies now that are getting on board uh, with the beta for the product. And it's just been like a really, really interesting journey uh, from that side, like obviously it was a massive plan from the beginning, but now it's starting really to come together and uh, looking forward to see now, like once we have a product to put out into the market, uh, how the listeners on the show respond as well. That was, uh, yeah, I mean, that was really smart, you know, just kind of like building our, um, you know, like just focusing on like building an audience and then kind of building the product. And, you know, I think one interesting thing is that just because you've been focused a lot on Churn FM as the podcast medium kind of getting early users, right? That was something, you know, we had Rand Fishkin on the podcast earlier and he was like, you know, instead of like going after like five or six channels, just focus on one, just do it really, really well. And which is what, I mean, at least seems to me that Churn FM's have done really well, that you've, you've focused on the podcast, you've done it really well, you've done it consistently. And, you know, that's probably one of the big reasons that, you know, you might, you know, you're seeing compounding um, returns with it. But in the initial six months, you know, like you said, it was it was obviously you know it can be a little frustrating when you know, you're, you're you're publishing so often, you know, you you're putting out podcast episodes. Initially, what was it like? Were you the only source of listeners was um, through the network, like I don't know through your LinkedIn network or something like that, or were you kind of I don't know actively running ads on it or um, you know like promoting the the show on other podcasts or something. Where's, where's the initial thing like, or was it just organic? Like people just discovered it on its own. Yeah. I think in the beginning I didn't really do much in terms of distribution. Um, it was actually just really trying to rely on my own personal network and then also the network of the guests. So one thing every time was just really trying to encourage and uh, hoping that every guest that joined the show would share. Um, mm. so, so to begin with, like I didn't 
do much in terms of distribution and only later like i started experimenting in different areas and starting to see some results uh, and actually now really going to start doubling down in a couple of areas to grow the podcast but uh first of all was really just trying to understand like the beginning stage of like what content was working like figuring out my own style of interviewing i still haven't nailed it yet like i still actually literally this morning got some feedback from a good friend uh, and fellow podcast host uh, louis grenier mm-hmm. uh, who has another podcast called everyone hates marketers um just because i think he does a fantastic job on his show and still i'm not there yet so like i think that was also using that first six months really just trying to get better at the job as well uh before really starting to double down on it and uh, like i think now the show's at a really good stage where we have like a very good uh, list of guests like really starting in the beginning like had to fight to try and find new people every week and it was a little bit stressful like trying to make sure you could be consistent and deliver a weekly episode now uh, we have teams that reach out to us and ask to join the show and it's become so much easier to recruit guests as well so um the backlog is always like six seven episodes uh, deep and growing as well now as we move into it a little bit deeper it just gets easier over time. But to begin with, it was just going back to the question was just really focusing on like personal network, trying to get the guests to like shit out to their network and then really just focusing on making sure the content was good. And mm-hmm. uh, first, like making sure that we were delivering value in the shows. And I think, like you say, because it is a specific niche and a specific problem, um, it, it does help like to get specific on the topic and go deep and uh, help like, actually educate the audience as well so yeah yeah yeah. and and i'm i'm guessing you know because now you're already about i think 50 or 70 how many episodes are out of turn fm now oh uh i think this week was 79 we've recorded around 85 86 (laughs) oh my god so 85 episodes right and i remember i i think you started out with a bang with like a super uh fancy guest right i think you got brian balfour uh on the first episode itself right and so yeah. th- that's that's an interesting thing that I want to ask, right? So, um, you know, now you're 84 episodes and now you've got, you know, famous people like Webflow, you know, CEO and, you know, Brian Balfour and others, right? Um, it's probably a lot easier to get guests because they can kind of see the background, you know, uh, all of that. But back then, you know, there was no, th- there weren't any episodes, right? So how do you kind of get someone like Brian Balfour? Like, did you, was it, was it just like by accident you just emailed and then it just worked out? Or do you have to really put an effort there? Yeah, so I mean, this is the thing with the the initial uh, show itself. I already had contact with all the guests. So I think the first ten episodes, uh, they were my in my direct network. I'd either like worked with them previously, or we had regular uh, calls um, with Brian Balfour as well. Uh, obviously, like having gone through the Reforge program, having worked with them in a couple of uh, areas as well, like getting feedback here and there for stuff from Hotjar. I already had a relationship uh, to some degree. So it was a lot easier to ask him on the show. And also I think obviously for him, it was like a direct, uh, like uh, it was a really, really good platform. I think for obviously for one of his courses at Reforge, which is retention engagement, really, Mm -hmm. really highly recommended. Um, And so I think it was just a natural fit as well too. So like it just made it easy, but not sure it would have been the same if I didn't know him from before, but I think it did definitely obviously like it was a big help to have uh, the connections that I did for the first like 10 guests. And then from there as well, every time I spoke to one of these guests, it would be okay. So who do you think I should speak to next? Um, 
Got it. So I think like Brian Belfo, like after the chat with him, he mentioned like speak to Sean Klaus, obviously one of the uh, the other um, the other founders of the programs that they put together at Reforge. So they wrote the program together. And uh, from there, it just sort of compounds each time I speak to a guest, like who else should I speak to? I stopped doing that now. I should continue doing it. But uh, that was a really good source of leads in the early day. It was like, okay, thanks. Really appreciate it. It was fantastic learning from you today. Who else should I speak to? Um, and then I was getting pointed in the direction of really good people all the time. Got it, got it. That was, again, super smart. Um, when you said, you know, earlier that, you know, now you've got teams that are kind of helping you out with guests and everything, what's kind of like, um, like, let's say, you know, the team reaches out to, let's say, 10 guests in the next 30 days or something, right? What's your usual, like, do do all the 10 people kind of agree to get on the podcast? Or is it one out of 10? What's it usually like? Yeah. So what I mentioned with teams earlier, like the teams, what I meant by that is actually like PR teams from different companies are reaching out to the show now. So uh, different companies will be pitching and saying, we would like to have this guest on the show. Um, So it's been the inverse. Um, But if (laughs) what, what, what you're talking about for myself reaching out, like I do that all personally still, because I think it's definitely, it's a personal experience spending an hour of somebody's time on a podcast, having a discussion with you. Uh, I want that to be personal. So every time I reach out to guests, it's always really with a good crafted message of why I believe they'll be a good fit for the show, why I would like them to join and a little bit of background. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned a couple of things. I think that really work and others that don't, like which channels and mediums. I almost never send emails uh, now, even though mm-hmm. in the past they did work to some degree. I found for me the best channels are LinkedIn and Twitter, but definitely Twitter by far. Um, mm-hmm. Just a direct message to them on Twitter. And uh, like I would say 50% of the time I get a reply and it's typically I'm always trying to shoot for really good guests. Uh, so um, I'd say like that was one thing I learned a little bit later, but Twitter has been a really, really good source of leads, specifically in my domain, my niche to get uh, to get good people on the show. Got it. Got it. Okay. And then <clears throat> let's kind of uh, let's kind of talk about the operations right behind every episode. Roughly, you know, how much time do you really spend on each podcast episode? You know, you're considering the recording time, post production, promotion. Um, is there like a specific thing? I mean, are like just to ballpark that? Yeah, so personally, uh, I spend just the time for the recording episode and here and there, like sending invites to guests. So uh, per episode, probably an hour, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, we do uh, like have somebody. So in the past, uh, we had uh, an external person helping us. Now, actually, my wife uh, helps out uh, with that side of things. So mm-hmm. uh, we do the editing, obviously, the content creation to so put together blog posts and then distributing to different social networks and uh, starting now, like with different ad campaigns and that to promote the show. But uh, that's actually like uh, I don't do any of that. So my time commitments to the show is really like recording the episodes an hour a week. Got it, got it, got it. And when you kind of started out, um, you know, the podcast, what was like your um, initial investment like in terms of um, work? What is needed? Like um, you, know, you probably need a podcast mic, you need a laptop, whatever. Uh, I'm asking from the perspective, let's say a business wants to kind of start out podcasting, you know, and kind of figure it out. What, what really is the investment there? Uh, if you have a laptop and a headset, like it, 
you can get started. So uh, I think you may have even the first couple of episodes I just recorded with my uh, Apple uh, earphones, like the plug-in uh, to the laptop uh, headset. Um, and that's literally what you need to get started. So I think uh, depending on what, um, what laptop you have as well, like some of them come with installed software. So I have a MacBook, uh, which has GarageBand, uh, and used Zoom to record episodes and just get started that way. I think the biggest hurdle, I think, is just getting started and just saying, okay, I'm going to do it. And then from there, you can improve. You get better over time, uh, like listening back to the first earlier episodes. Uh, they weren't where they are uh, today. Uh, I probably could have got started earlier, but uh, there was a few things like I wanted to do right for the launch that I think helped us have a backlog of like six, seven episodes, like have a little bit of polish to them. But literally the first couple of episodes when I recorded them, it was just with a, um, a headset plugged into the laptop and Zoom call. So you don't need much to get started. Got it, got it. Yeah, I completely agree, yes. I mean, that, that's, uh, it, it really does require very minimal setup, right? But as you've kind of, I'm guessing, you know, as you've kind of grown, I, you know, I can probably hear it right now. You're probably using a little bit more professional mics now and you're probably, um, you know, uh, like you have a better, I, I don't know where is it in the first episode or something, but I think now, I think you've changed the the intro in the in the Jordan FM, you know, like there's a professional sound and then there are guests speaking and all of that, right? I'm guessing that was something that you kind of added later as you kind of got more confident. Is that correct? Um, hmm, I can't remember. I think I might have done that from the beginning because okay. all of those, ep- I was talking about this the other day actually with uh, Christella and saying that we hadn't recorded a new intro and she was like, it's fine. It sounds good. Uh, <laughs> just leave it. Uh, and she's right as well. But um, yeah, like uh, that was, I think all of you, if you listen to all the guests as well, it's like the first five or six guests that were on the show. So that hasn't changed from the beginning. I did that, but that as well, like I think, I put it together quickly in GarageBand and then went on Fiverr and got somebody to add music to it. And that was it sort of um, wasn't like a huge investment or anything. I think it maybe cost like 50 euros or whatever it was at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wanted like that. So that was one of the things probably that I shouldn't have done and should have just started and then did afterwards. But uh, I have an OCD as well in certain areas. And <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Um, that's, I mean, and so let's kind of go back earlier, right? Like you mentioned Churn FM was, uh, it's, it, it's been one of your ways to kind of understand about the churn and retention industry, eventually to kind of building like the product that you have, getting early, you know, beta testers and everything. So that was one use case of it. Right now, from the podcast as such, do you, do you make any money from it? So this question I get asked like so often and uh, actually funnily enough, like from my parents, uh, because I think it's one of those things that don't sound like, but you're doing all this time and work and effort, but you're not getting paid for it. Why? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like, uh, so honestly, like I haven't up until now monetized the podcast in any way because I have a very deliberate plan for it. So I regularly get probably a couple of requests a month uh, for people to advertise and sponsor the show now. Um, but it hasn't been part of the plan. And like for myself, like I mentioned earlier, like what I really wanted to do with the show, 
The way it's starting to pay itself off now, though, is uh, going out, launching my own company. I've uh, now as well given notice uh, at my current uh, job. So I've been able to secure some really good uh, consulting work as a result of it, um, which, again, if it's not a direct way to monetize the show, but it's obviously given the exposure, the credibility, the knowledge as well uh, from that perspective. So I played a bit of a long game in terms of like how I wanted to monetize the show. And obviously it was for the product, but in the interim now it's definitely helped, I think, to monetize it, not directly through ads or, or anything like that or uh, subscriptions, but really in, in the form of like being able to secure and land some really good uh, consulting work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that makes sense. Kind of also mirrors a little bit of my experience as well with the podcast here. Um, but I'm actually now becoming really curious, right? Uh, I'm not sure if you if you start sharing about this, but like, um, what has been like, wh- what is the software that you're building, and you know, at what stage is it at? Um, you know, we've been talking about this, uh, but I'm really curious now to hear about it. Yeah, uh, th- this might actually be the first public place I'll be sharing this, but. Um... So one of the things I think through the show that's definitely become like extremely evident as well when it comes to churn and retention, uh, and it's extremely obvious as well, but uh, the only way you can really solve it is knowing who your customers are inside and out, like really having a deep understanding of what their pain points are, what are the use cases, um, what are the different personas, like what's driving usage, uh, what certain features are they using, like you need to understand um, your customers extremely well. And what happens uh, within in pretty much every company I speak to as well, like there's a lot of different teams doing research. Some are doing qualitative, some are doing quantitative. Um, and they're going out, they're learning new things all the time. And there's never, ever really any good source of truth that brings everything together. Um, a lot of companies do this in a lot of ways. So they'll put together pages in Confluence or set up something in Notion, or there's certain repositories now that have popped up that do things like from a qualitative perspective, but don't bring in the quantitative side. Um, and what we're really building, uh, the company is called Databytes, databytes.io. Um, and what we're building is a single source of truth uh, for data-driven product teams. Um, and essentially what we are and how we're a little bit different from everything else is we're an abstraction layer and we're a browser extension first experience. So we live on top of every tool and service that you use. We provide an interface that makes it extremely easy to quickly save insights that you're learning along the way. So you might be in Mixpanel and you notice something interesting in a graph. You can quickly open the extension, save a data byte, tag it, and share it with the team. Uh, you could be in a Google Slide and uh, Google Analytics. Like You could literally be in any tool or service that you use where data is being consumed and stored. Um, and quickly and easily save data um, into these data bytes and then able later to be able to sort and store them into different uh, clusters or spaces. So you could group all your information that you have about user personas and uh, bring out individual personas. And for them, you might have a hot Joe heat map. You might have a Google slide. You might have a chart mogul report. Like bringing everything together to tell the full story around what you're trying to work on whether it's running experimentation program or doing research for who your customers are. So one is we make it extremely easy to store and capture. And then I think the next big difference as well is we make it extremely easy to surface data. So 
Um, the, our customer, our ideal customer that we're working with as well, I think is going to most likely be analysts and researchers within organization that typically don't have a really good, strong seat at the table. And a lot of times their work just like ends up dying in the bottom of a spreadsheet or a Google slide deck. Mm-hmm. Um, with Databyte, we give you a very easy way as well to pin insights to specific parts of the user journey. So any person within your company that's logged in with the Databyte uh, extension, whenever they're visiting a part of your user journey or a page uh, that's relevant to your company, uh, analysts or anyone within your company could pin Databytes or insights that they've learned about that page um, so that everybody in the company can view it. So an example might be you've run several experiments on your pricing page. You've also received a bunch of uh, feedback as well about the pricing and packaging. Um, but this information will typically sort of live like in a different report somewhere or it will live in like a feedback response poll or this way it allows you to pin that information directly on that page. So anytime somebody coming next to try and run an experiment or want to know what was done here actually has that context where they need it. Um, so to sum that all up, this is a long, long pitch and you get much, much better at the short pitch, but uh, essentially it's really like a... Um, data inside repository that allows you to quickly and easily capture because it's a layer on top of everything you use and then being able to surface that by allowing you to pin data to where it's needed. Got it. Got it. Got it. It is. I mean, it seems like a lot of the learnings um, you know, from, from all of the guests and as well as your own, you've obviously gone into kind of building the product, right? Um, but let's kind of go in a little, you know, related to this, right? Like which one of them, um, right? Like, uh, there were obviously a lot of learnings that you had from there talking to guests, um, which might have also kind of gone into kind of building this, uh, the state of its product that you, you're now building. Right. Um, if you could, I know it's a difficult question to ask, but if, if you, if you could kind of sum it up in like top three learnings or like your top three learnings from all of the guests, um, talking about certain attention, what are those, you know, that like just strike out clearly for you. Yeah. Um, so it's not really a difficult question because it's the same theme over and over and over again mm-hmm. um, is number one, by far, you need to understand your customer. It all starts with the customer. Uh, mm-hmm. So like before you try any sort of tactics or any ways to improve retention, like spend the time just speaking to customers, speak to as many as you can, like uh, learn their pain points, like really get to know who they are. Um, that would be definitely number one when it comes to churn retention. I think the next biggest thing then, and uh, it's an area I think that people underlook in the beginning because they really focus on the product itself, but the importance of activation and making sure your users establish a habit and creating value with your product. Mm. So more often than not, like we just want to build the product and we completely forget about that first time experience or even that second time experience like coming back and after experiencing your product. So the impact you can have on churn and retention focusing on activation is also extremely powerful because it compounds mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times like people's immediate reaction is like, okay, I'm going to go look at who's churned and see what, what the reasons for churning and uh, see which parts I can save, maybe work on a little bit of dunning. And there's some quick wins you might get there, but the compounding impact you get from working on your activation flow and making sure people create a habit out of your product is by far probably one of the most impactful and powerful things you can do. And then obviously, I mean, this goes to the show, but there just is no silver bullet. Like 
companies are solving the problem in so many different ways from so many different angles. Um, like the, the other thing as well, like benchmarks are bullshit. Like don't yep. look to uh, benchmarks and say, okay, their churn rate is X. We should be at Y. Uh, like literally there's just so many reasons why uh, yours could be different, why it could be better, why it could be worse. So trying to like benchmark yourself against somebody else's uh, company is never going to be a good use of your time. Um, yeah. I mean, got a ton of different things I could share as well. I could go on and on obviously about <laughs> the topic. I've recorded 85 episodes on it, but I, I'd say like, yeah, like it's just getting to know your customer really well. Like activation is extremely uh, powerful. And then, Maybe one other thing that does come up quite regularly as well, and something that for me, uh, like having never really worked in companies where uh, we were dealing like with enterprise or mid-market companies was when the customer champion leaves being a very Mm -hmm. big reason for churn. So um, a lot of companies obviously solving this in ways like trying to ensure that they're not only stuck with a single champion, but um, this is a big area uh, where it is. And actually, you mentioned earlier as well, like I, all of these learnings had gone into the uh, the product and being built. But what I've actually been doing over the course of like the last year as well is testing different ideas out. Uh, mm-hmm. So now Databytes, the fourth product, I think, uh, putting together. Um, and I shared the link as well with you now um, in the chat, but you can maybe add it to the show notes. Like what mm-hmm. I was doing along the way was every time I would learn something new, I thought something was interesting. I would go ahead and create a landing page and make it look like a legit business. Mm. Um, so put together like everything I, I felt needed to go into a product, like made it look really real. So the, like a lot of people, actually Brian Belfar, I shared one with him. He's like, damn, like you fooled me. I thought this was a real company <laughs> um, when I was asking for feedback. And um, so like what I did was like going through this process, like I said, this is the fourth one. And then what I was doing off of the back of that was, doing research around like pricing and packaging and trying to understand, okay, uh, is there a market for this product? Like how likely are people to buy? What is the willingness to pay? Like uh, Mm. is the market big enough and being a little bit methodical in trying to understand, okay, uh, does this pain resonate with a big enough audience? Is there a big enough market? Mm -hmm. Uh, How likely are they going to be to buy? Like what is going to be the companies, the typical buyer persona look like? Do I uh, have experience or like, is this something that I feel like has uh, good traction and um, I came up with a few of them like one or two of them I still think are good but I just discarded because they didn't feel good for myself personally of what I wanted to be working on and building mm-hmm. um, but ultimately like where I got to now with Databytes is it really this was a pain that had obviously come up a lot in the show it's not directly related to churn retention but it's one of the biggest places to start and the most important aspects of it mm-hmm. and it's actually a pain and problem like i faced at hotshot where i am today as well so heading up business intelligence uh we work on a lot of research we do a lot of work all the time and there's a lot of wasted research that happens there's a lot of repetition of research that happens um and this is just like one of the things like i went to the company and said okay like we need to solve this um and then realize okay there's a gap uh let's see if other people are trying to solve this and then just really started from there uh, probably around 60 70 interviews as well just on this topic uh, nice yeah and i was looking at the website it looks pretty awesome like you've really 
done a nice job with it. Were you and, and this is pretty interesting, you know, like you said, you know, you created a landing page to see like put the product as such on a page, even though it's not there yet. And then kind of just see how the uh, the reaction is everything, right? Even with the product as such, right? With the data byte product that you're building, is it something that like do you have a tech background? Are you like building it on your own? Or are you kind of like leveraging the no code movement? Um, or is there another story here? Yeah, I actually thought about doing no code to begin with, to be honest. I think it's like for an MVP, it could have been done. Um, But I have a little bit of a background. (laughs) Like I don't want to push my skills up too much, but um, I, at the moment, now I'm working with a founder and as well a previous um, friend who we worked on another startup with. Uh, But personally, like with this product, I've been building the front end. So I do have, uh, I would say, quite good grasp of uh, technical skills um like with this specific project we're using react so uh been building pretty much everything that you see on the site mm-hmm. we have almost like a replication uh, that i've been focused on and i focus on the front end so um but i do have uh, a co-founder that we're working with and uh we're building the product out now as well um so yeah um Okay. No code was an idea to begin with when I thought like, okay, let me be scrappy. But then the more I got into it, the more I realized, okay, uh, this is something we could get off the ground pretty fast. Uh, and then we could expand and build on as well over time, which I felt there was definitely hit limitations when it came to no code, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so, I mean, the, the site looks really good. I was kind of just looking at it. Like, I think this, I mean, just like, just like the churn of site, this one's also burned Webflow. Um, and, yes. you know, I, um, and I think you've you've done a phenomenal job with like this and even the churn of M site, right? Um, let's kind of talk about this, right? Like um, the churn of M site looks really, really good, just like the Databyte site. Um, and you've you've really segmented, you know, if someone really wants to kind of explore on the episode, you've, you've done a pretty good job. Um, and I know this was kind of like a recent, recent or maybe a couple of months back, right? Why did you invest in kind of building a dedicated website for your podcast? Like wh- wh- where's the value there? Yeah, so I think it's that sort of concept of having an owned medium that's yours and a platform. And one of the things I want to do and still haven't done a good job of at all uh, is build up a newsletter list. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted a platform where I could send uh, visitors or I could send uh, different campaigns that we were running to a site that we could then capture uh, emails uh, from. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think it's one of those things like, that's not don't building like not to build your business on top of somebody else's business. There's always going to be a risk. And I think this is still one of the problems with podcasts is you're still heavily reliant on specific platforms mm-hmm. um, to distribute your content. And uh, like I've learned this in a previous company where we had a startup, we were building an ad builder for Facebook, trying to make it stupidly simple. Uh, we even sort of tagged ourselves in the beginning as the MailChimp for Facebook ads. <laughs> Ironically, MailChimp now do that. Um, <laughs> but one of the biggest risks like, I learned from that was that like, you're at the mercy of these companies at any given time. And at any given time, they can change their policy or they can change the way they distribute things. And uh, that can really have a big impact. So with the website, what I wanted to do was just have a platform that I felt as well visitors could come and listen to the content as well without having to have the constraints of the different platforms that they were on. But then also really just having that own medium that I could then use to try and uh, add additional content that could then become uh, a way to attract more newsletter subscribers. So slowly, slowly, we'll also start doing more focused content, bringing different uh, subjects together. 
uh, potentially even putting all the learnings into a book at some point as well. So I wanted a platform that we could then use that to sort of distribute additional content and grow our list. Nice, nice, nice. And has this, has this contributed to kind of you building like a, um, a, a you know, a larger email list than was before the website? Um, to be honest, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's one of those things, but it's one of those things we've haven't done uh, anything about. Like literally we just started though this week. Uh, mm -hmm. We started different campaigns, trying to grow the list, trying testing different things out. I think one of the biggest issues we still face is there is no big reason that for somebody to subscribe to the list now, if they already subscribed to the podcast and whatever platform they're at. So I think that's one of the next things we're going to focus on is like, what is that additional content? What's that reason that somebody would want to subscribe to our newsletter list um, that would keep them in uh, coming back and actually wanting to sign up for the list. So the site itself did nothing for it, but it's given us a platform now to experiment and try and do different things as well to improve it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that makes sense. And actually kind of, you know, brings me to the next question. There's a lot of stuff that you're doing on the podcast site. You've got the site, you're going to build an email list. Um, you've got the podcast that you're running every week. And, you know, I know it personally, if you've got a full-time job, you know, you're producing podcasts every week, there's just so much time commitment, right? And then you've got your Databyte um, startup now. Um, and so these are, uh, and I'm guessing the, the hard shot role is also quite intense because you're heading up a team there, right? How do you like, you know, manage, you know, the continuity of, you know, of your podcast, you know, pushing out podcasts every Wednesday for the last 18 months, two years, um, you know, while managing your full-time job and your family life and your new startup and all of these website projects? I don't know. It's one of these things is like, you don't find time, you make time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's just being really extremely deliberate and focused with my time. Um, I'm not a person that can just sit around and do nothing or just relax. I think that's, uh, like a downfall for me for sure. So I, I find it very difficult just to sit on the couch and watch TV, even though I do enjoy it from time to time, <laughs> I'm always still sitting like with my phone doing something else for work if I am there. So uh, one thing I think it's just my character is, is always on it and always like uh, needing to stimulate my mind on different aspects or different topics. So I find it easy to be able to context switch uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Being a previous as well, like startup founder, like you need to switch context constantly. So that's definitely been a, a big help. I think from the podcast side as well, like slowly automating things over time, uh, putting in place good systems really helped minimize the time needed for the show. Mm -hmm. um, so I mentioned to you before, like the commitment now from my side is probably like two hours a week. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's recording two episodes on a busy week, maybe an hour and 10 minutes on, on a short week. So it's become a lot less um, and it's become a lot more manageable as well from that aspect. So uh, I think it's just as well then slowly, slowly finding ways to automate some of the processes that you're doing on a regular basis and uh, cutting time from it. But then the other like sad thing is it's probably just a lot of hours as well and just being really deliberate with the hours. So uh, every night I'm in the office till 11, 12 at the moment. I want that to change. Like I don't think it's healthy or sustainable. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a balanced life. And that's definitely something like I've learned at Hotjar and started to appreciate how important it is. Um, they do a fantastic job of making sure that everybody has uh, and does live a healthy, balanced lifestyle. 
uh, going into like building my next company, I want to get back to that point. I don't think it is productive as well. Um, mm-hmm. But at this point, it's just become a necessity now for me at this point until I am able to officially leave my current role at Hotjar. And then I think things become so much easier as well. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a little bit difficult, but I, I enjoy it as well. Like I think if I didn't enjoy it, it would be really stupid to, to be doing this. <laughs> Yeah, and I think you're uh, one good thing. Uh, nobody to kind of make an opinion, but I think one good thing is that you're kind of um, making that change in a very you know, transition way, like in a more short, short way. You know, there are a lot of people who go all in into their new startup, and something doesn't work out, they go in. But you're kind of going from a more bootstrap perspective that you know, let you know some of my consulting and sell either the job work go on, and then let the company kind of grow to the point where I can just kind of leave everything and then go into that. Um, which I think, yes, I mean, I, I'm definitely on the, on the same boat on that. Um, at least that's the way I understand it. But that's, that's awesome, right? Like the way you're kind of managing your time. Um, let's kind of talk about, um, you know, um, let's talk about, you mentioned earlier that obviously the first six months of the podcast, you know, you, you didn't do a lot of promotion. And then now is when you're starting to see a lot of good returns and everything. You want to invest in it couple of things how are you planning to grow your podcast right now like how are you doing it right now what's in what's in the works in the next three or four months um to kind of grow this this audience yeah so i think one thing with the podcast as well just to point out is obviously with the recent times and uh, covid19 we got stuck in a little bit in the headwinds uh, of that. So I think a lot more people started caring a lot more about churn and retention. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually aided us um, in terms of growing the show a bit. So that was one aspect I think that just sort of realized as well that now, okay, a lot more people are paying attention to the problem. So it's mm-hmm. a good time now as well to double down and uh, grow the audience from that perspective. Um and then the things that we're slowly starting to do now, as I mentioned, is we're starting to experiment with different uh, paid ad campaigns now, mm-hmm. um, looking into different channels. So uh, recently we tested out, I think it was Zest, uh, we're doing Facebook, we're going to start to experiment on different maybe podcast uh, advertising platforms and trying to grow it uh, organically in that uh, fashion. Uh, one of the next things as well, I think would be as well to do a little bit more uh, speaking on different different podcasts about the topic myself personally um, trying to tap into different uh, podcasts network and audience I think this is also times when I've spoken on different podcasts have also brought some good traction to the show uh, doubling down as well then I think on trying to secure bigger name guests uh, is mm-hmm. always a big uh, positive side for us um, and then just focusing as well like I mentioned on doubling down on the content that we are producing so seeing how we can take that medium and convert it into different formats and uh, use that uh, as well to share and educate uh, listeners. So uh, potentially pulling together multiple episodes, we talk about a specific topic and bringing together those insights into a single uh, blog post or potentially even a single episode and really trying to add additional value to the show by um, like sort of consolidating ideas and uh, thoughts into, into good pieces. Got it, got it. Even with the with the content that you're mentioning, right? Like you're kind of improving the content of the podcast. Is it do you do you really prepare, you know, a lot beforehand, like with like a rough agenda, or is it more like an ad hoc conversation? You know, that you want to extract this insight um and then you're just gonna kind of let it flow on its own. How does it go? 
Yeah, zero preparation. Um, when I when I say zero, zero is wrong. Uh, so every guest that comes on the show, I understand their background a bit. So I'll just go and check out LinkedIn, uh, see where their background is, what they've done in the past, uh, look at their current company, understand a little bit what the company does. But I literally don't take any notes or anything for this. I just have an idea of the direction I want to take the show. Mm-hmm. And then when we get on the show as well, like I'll have five minutes with each guest, say, okay, these are my thoughts. Like uh, I'll give you an example of a recent guest, uh, was a previous product marketer and now director of marketing uh, at a new startup. And I felt like we hadn't really touched deeply yet on product marketing as a concept and how it influences churn and retention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, oh, like, this is the idea. Like uh, I think there's a lot of aspects of product marketing that influence it and uh, we can just go deep on the topic uh, from there. Like, if you have any other ideas, uh, feel free to share. But I think this will be interesting. And pretty much every time, I think all the guests agree with the direction, like I suggest. Uh, and then we just let it go as it comes. So sometimes we'll cover five, six, seven topics. Sometimes we might get one to two in and uh, really just go deep on them, depending on it. And just lo- allowing the conversation to flow, I think. Um, if the listeners, if businesses weren't kind of get in touch with you um, or follow your work, basically, um, you know, how can they do that? And, you know, and like what's next for you? I mean, I know we've touched upon um, the, the start and everything. Are there more startups in uh, in the future or um, are you are you just, you know, going super deep into it and kind of building like a large platform? What's next? Nice. Yep. Uh, so uh, next is just really doubling down and focusing on data bytes. And like I mentioned earlier, like using different consulting to try and uh, fuel their business to begin with, bootstrapping until we get to a stage where we've uh, proven the product market fits for at least a degree of it and then doubling down. So at the moment, really just focusing on that, uh, iterating, pivoting our way to, to finding it. Um, are there any startups in the future? Uh, I don't think I'll ever stop, but definitely not <laughs> in the short term. Like this is something we want to focus on and uh, I, like really give it a go. Um, how to keep up with me? Like obviously uh, the, the show is a great way. Um, if you'd like to email me, like my name, um, email address is andrea.churn.fm. Like Twitter, I'm reasonably active. LinkedIn's also a good channel. So always happy to uh, hear from people, uh, see how I can help as well. And yeah, that's about it. Lastly, as well, if you do want to check out the product, it's databyte.io. So D-A-T-A-B-I-T-E dot I-O. Uh, I'd love to hear what you think of it as well and uh, give you early access to, to the product because we're going to be launching beta in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be awesome. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll definitely add the link to the to the product and let's see how, um, how it goes. You know, all the best uh, for, the, for the product. But thanks so much for coming on the show, Andrew. It was a pleasure. It's a pleasure, my love. Thank you for uh, hosting me.